Welcome to Basecamp, where men meet together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. It's good to be up here again. Uh, always enjoy speaking to you. You're a great crowd. Throw very few things. Um, this is a tough, it's a tough semester. Things we're teaching about are a little deeper, right? So I want to talk first real quickly about EUAs. Anybody know what an EUA is? Oh, that's a good one too. I forgot about that, but I was thinking of end user agreement. Anyone in IT, right? All those paragraphs and pages of information, um, you know, really seriously, I just want to play the video game. I just want to download the app. So the preferred method of managing an EUA is? Scroll down to the bottom, click I agree, right? Exactly. Do we run the risk, though, of treating our Christianity a little like an end user agreement? How well do we really understand some of the things that we profess? Um, this comes up from, you know, Facebook, that wonderful um, entity, does one thing pretty well, and it suggests things to me I might want to remember from a long time ago, and a couple of days ago it was, hey, here's a post you shared seven years ago, and it was this post about how we can treat our Christianity like an EUA, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty timely, because um, thanks to Derek uh, for suggesting this topic this semester, we're getting into some of the things we believe about our faith so that we're not just clicking I agree and moving on. With that, I just want to pray for us a little this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to speak to the men this morning. May my preparations, may the words I, I tell them be inspiring. May they come from your truth. May we hide your word in our heart and understand it so that we can, we can explain it to others. We can have, grow in our confidence of the word you teach us. Amen. Today we're going to talk about the deity and humanity of Christ, and this is drawn from this uh, paragraph from the BCC Statement of Faith. I want to warn you guys who haven't spoken from this stage yet, as I haven't until today, that monitor's a long way away. <laughs> My 55-year-old eyes, love, luckily uh, brought the glasses today. From the BCC Statement of Faith, Jesus Christ is God, the eternally pre-existent Son and living Word, who became incarnate through His miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit and His virgin birth. He is perfect deity and true humanity united in one person. Both natures are whole, perfect, and distinct. Or if we want to boil that down a little more, Jesus is fully God, Jesus is fully human. Let's go have a quick review. And man, I'm glad I used big fonts on this because that monitor is a long way away. Last week, Mike Helvey did a great job um, introducing us to the Trinity, or maybe not introducing us, describing, diving in, deep diving into the Trinity. One, one holy God manifest in three distinct persons, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Thanks, Mike, for that great talk last week. Um, moving on, I'm going to, we're going to be con um, concentrating on the Son today, who, of course, as part of the Holy Trinity, has a divine nature, a complete divine nature, and as well being made incarnate, being made man to come down and live among us with a human 
nature. One being with two distinct and complete natures. You're going to see this a few times, so get used to it. What does fully mean? Well, in this context, what we say when he's fully God is there is no element of deity missing. You saw his divine nature is the divine nature of the Holy Trinity. There's no way in which the Father or the Spirit or somehow are more God than Jesus. He's a fully developed, there's nothing missing. Likewise, there's no element of his humanity missing. He was born into the world as a man. He grew, he learned, he hungered, he ate, he thirsted, he drank, he felt emotions of joy and pain and sorrow. He was wounded, he bled, and he died. He could be killed. No element of his humanity is missing, but wait, Jack, you say, I think there's an element of humans missing. Anyone? Sin. He's missing this thing. To err is human, right? Well, Adam was created without sin. Through Adam, sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden through the serpent, the temptation. But Adam himself was created without sin. It is not a, an original human characteristic. So, as coming as a second Adam Christ, manifest as a, as a man without sin. What is it, why is it important that Jesus is human? Well, let's look at it from the opposite side. If he is not human, he can't know my pain. He doesn't know what I go through. He doesn't know my struggles, and he can't understand me. We can look at the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus, the man, comes to the tomb of his friend Lazarus. Jesus, the man, wept. He felt the emotion, he felt the pain of losing a friend. Um, I'm sure there's many of us in the room. We've lost a friend, we've lost a spouse, we've lost a father, we've lost a child or a brother. Jesus knows these pains, and he can understand us, and that makes him a, a better, wonderful counselor. If he's not human, he can't be the perfect sacrifice, and he cannot redeem me. We'll get into the, the red-letter edition of Jack's talk today, right? The Son of Man must suffer be killed and be raised on the third day. These are the words of Jesus, the man, saying, I, the man, must suffer, be killed and raised on the third day. This is God's plan to redeem me through the man, Jesus. He cannot be tempted if he is not human. And then for he cannot teach me how to resist the evil one. How does he teach me to resist the evil one? We'll look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11, often called the temptation of Jesus or Jesus tempted in the wilderness. Satan takes particular joy in some of the feelings we have and uses them against us, am I right? So, 
Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. There's right, right there in my version. He was hungry because no element of humanity is missing, right? The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of the God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus feeling deprived, as we do sometimes. It may be a physical need, maybe some other kind of need where we feel deprived of something. Satan says, you know, cast off this whole humanity thing. You can tell these stones to become bread, and they will. They'll obey you. You don't have to, you don't have to endure this as a man. Jesus says, no, God has made a way for a man to endure deprivation. He says, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So as a man, Jesus says, I'm going to appeal to God's provision in my life. Satan also enjoys it when you feel doubt or maybe some kind of arrogance. Maybe wanting, we want to look at God like some kind of phone-a-friend, get-out-of-jail-free card. If I'm in some kind of distress, I, I should just be able to call God, and he, 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 he turns off that uncomfortable circumstance. He's going to pull me right out of it, right? No. Satan tells Jesus, takes him to the, high, to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He said, well, I, want you to, I want you to tell God, look, if, if you're God, if you're there, you're gonna take me out of any kind of peril I'm in. Abandon this humanity you have. Show us the power of God. Jesus says, nope. God has a way for those of us who are in peril. God has a way for those of us who are in circumstances that we would like to, go, would like to be removed from. Should we pray to him to remove us from those circumstances? Sure. Will he always? No. Why? Because, as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, I'd rather be in your will. Lord, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Jesus, the man praying to his God on the verge of his his beating his suffering, his torture, and his death, saying, take this cup from me, but your will be done, your perfect will. We appeal to God's perfect will in times of trouble. Do I want to be out of that circumstance? You bet. What do I want more? I want to be in God's perfect will. Satan really works on us with desire, things we want, Hey, desire's fine. Desire's a good thing. God created desire. But we can desire things that are not good for us, and even things that are good for us, we can seek to get in the wrong way. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Abandon this God, he says now, of yours. Worship me and look what you can have. For us, for me, is, these are idols. Things that we want more than we want to make God the center and the focus of our lives. Jesus appeals to God's preeminence. Get away from me, Satan. 
You will worship the God, Lord your God and serve him only. God's provision, God's perfection, God's preeminence. These are the ways that a man deals with circumstances. Why is it important that Jesus is human? Sort of related but perhaps concise way. I like how Paul wrote it. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sinning. This is why it's important that Jesus is human. Why is it important that Jesus is God? Well, again, we'll take a look at it from the opposite side. If he is not God, well, first of all, he can't be trusted. Red letter edition, I and the Father are one. I will not take you through these slides and slides and paragraphs and pages that Norman Geisler has published to explain to you that Jesus said, I am God. I, if, if, if you don't believe that, see me after class. I'll give you some references. Let's just assume for the minute we're all pretty good with that, that Jesus said it. If it's not true, if he's not God, he can't be trusted. I can't believe him. This whole thing kind of falls apart, honestly. He cannot forgive my sins if he is not God. After healing a paralytic man or claiming to, or, and, and telling him, your sins have been forgiven, these wise Jews in the, in the audience grumble and talk among themselves, who is this man? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They speak correctly. The Old Testament, the New Testament, very clear forgiveness of sins is God's purview. This is his job. So they're right to say who can forgive sins but God alone. So if he is not God and cannot forgive my sins, I cannot be sanctified. Neither can you. Also, if he is not God, he cannot calm the storm. He says, peace, be still. When I am in my boat being tossed upon the seas, those of you who know me know that's where I prefer to be, actually, but when I'm in my, let's, let's talk about a figurative boat. Um, tossed upon the waves, the wind's blowing, I'm afraid everything's about to come down upon my head. And I, I do, I pray those prayers of, deli prayers of deliverance. Lord, deliver me from this, but thy will be done. I, I do want to appeal to your perfect will, but if it is your will, deliver me. And he can, he can say, peace, be still. If I don't ever think he'll do that, I'm not gonna know peace, and he does. I pray he'll do that in your lives, in your times of trouble, when you pray for deliverance, I will, I'm there praying with you that he will deliver you. But we know his perfect will Takes, takes preeminence. Why is it important that Jesus is both fully God and fully man? Well, one more time, because if he is not, he can't sit at the right hand of the Father and intercede for me. Speaking to the Father as God, speaking to the man as man, he intercedes for me and I'm forgiven, I am washed as white as snow because this God-man is sitting in the throne room 
with the Father, interceding on my behalf. If he is not God and man, he cannot come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and, cre- and complete God's redemptive purpose. What is God's redemptive purpose? We can look through the whole of the Bible. We can start in Genesis, God telling Abraham, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. In the prophets, here Zechariah, he will speak peace to the nations, his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Again, the red letter edition. If, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to myself. From the pen of Paul, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself. Finally, the revelation to John. The angels, the saints in the throne room of God singing the song of Moses, for thou alone art holy, for all the nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, we see God's redemptive purpose to bring all men, all nations to himself. A few takeaways for you today. Jesus as God can reach to God. Jesus as a man can reach to man or to a man, to me, to you. Jesus as both redeems me, redeems mankind. And Jesus as a man, this is particular comfort for me. He knows what it's like to be me. And who better to help me be a better me? Thank you very much for your attention this morning. I have a few discussion questions. I return you to your tables. Heavenly Fathers, we uh, come before you, and as we go out today, um, I ask your blessing on these guys. I do pray for the election that in all things your will be done, Lord. And I pray for reconciliation in those places that we have significant differences. And I just uh, ask you to uh, indwell us. I know you indwell us, but I ask you to help us relate better um, to our neighbors, relate better to our coworkers, um, and be more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. One for all.